0: Isaiah chapter 40, I'm going to pick up reading in verse 21. Here's what the word says. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you, been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is dis- uh, disregarded by my, my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends. Of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. The most famous portion of this passage is verse 31 out of this chapter, and most specifically, the the, the portion of verse 31 that that speaks of soaring like eagles and running with, uh, with endurance and and walking without fainting. This imagery appeals to us. Um, But but I want us to see today that that imagery is the response to what has gone before. It comes in a greater, more beautiful context of encouragement to a people who had known chastisement by God and had begun to wonder if they were up to the, the calling of God, the challenging of God. In the beginning of this chapter, God speaks to his people. and He says, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her welfare is ended, that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and she, that she has received from the Lord the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The historical context in which this word was spoken was that Israel God's people because of their sin and God's judgment over their sin were in Babylon as as captives as in, uh, conquered people and God was bringing about their restoration back to Jerusalem and they were being called to leave Babylon where they had built lives and settled in and calling them to go back to Jerusalem that had been left desolate to rebuild the temple, to restart their lives. And frankly, a lot of them probably thought, this is way beyond us. Maybe some thought God had forgotten about them and just left them uh, to to be in Babylon forever. Maybe others um, recognized that God was moving, but still thought that what he was calling them to, to go back and rebuild and start over, was just way beyond them. And so into that context comes chapter 40, where where God, through the prophet Isaiah, is encouraging his people. What he has called them to, they, they will not do in their own power and in their own might. What they will do will be according to the power and the might and the provision of God. The greater context of chapter 40 is a call to behold the glory of God and know that God stands alone on his glory and in in his power and in his glory and in his power is hope. Here is the context. This is the whole sermon in one sentence. If you turn your attention to God, the problems of this world get awful small. But if you look at the problems of this world, they will overwhelm you. And so the prophet, God through the prophet Isaiah is calling his people, to look and see, to behold the glory of God. So with that in mind, I want us to think in these, these ways this morning. Number one, I want to walk through the passage and declare to you that when you consider the glory of God, whatever else you want to compare it with, there is no comparison to the glory, the might, the power of a living God. And the, 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 the prophet is calling you. God is calling you. Come and look. Look. Come and see. Come and compare. What do you compare with the glory of God? And you will discover nothing compares to the glory of God. And then two promises, and that is that God knows all things. He knows where you are. He knows what you are. He knows where you've been. He knows where you're going to be. He knows where you are. He's not forgotten about you. And then secondly, he is providing for you to be obedient to his call and his plan in your life. Let's begin where the, where, where the passage begins, and that is that there is no comparison. Just look with me again in verse 21. It begins with a question. Do you not know? Do you, did, did you, not, do you not hear? It has been from, told you from the beginning. Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches, who stretches out the heavens like a, a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. That is imagery of the greatness of God. And, and the point here is that when you, can, when you compare God to everything on the side of creation, God is more glorious than the heavens and the earth. In fact, in, in verse 21, when the, when the question comes, Do you not know, do you not hear? This has been true from the foundations of the world. The point that the prophet is making is, this is an obvious truth. In other words, look at all the glorious things of this world, Um, behold all the greatness of the world, and then behold the greatness of God. And the obvious truth here is that God is greater, more glorious and more wonderful than all of heaven and all of earth. All of creation, demonstrates the glory of God. I was listening to someone speak other day about the vastness of the universe. Now they started the conversation from a position of much more intelligence than I entered the conversation. They were trying to explain how big the universe is, and that's just the parts that we have been able to see. The point was, it goes on further and further and further, and the question it was asked, Why would God create such a vast universe and only put people on little tiny earth? And the answer to that is all of creation is a demonstration to the glory of God. There's nothing about creation that is small and simple. All of creation blows our mind by its glory, by its majesty, by its vastness. That is true from the smallest of atoms to the most vast expanse of the universe. That is true for the intricacies of the human body, to the, to the consistency of the rising and the setting of the sun. All of creation, all of creation testifies to the glory of God. And the, the prophet says, do you not know? Do you not hear? Look up, see the glory of creation and know the glory of God's greater than that. Verse 22 says the creation cannot contain him. He is above it. He is greater than it. Creation in all its greatness cannot contain the the fullness of God. He's bigger than creation. He's grander than creation. He's more glorious than creation. The inhabitants of the earth, the Bible says, are like grasshoppers. Now, that's not to diminish your value, but it it is a comparison to the glory and might of God. We are small compared to him heavens are like a tent, cannot contain him. The things of this world testify, testify to us of our weakness. You know, the reality is, when you're looking at the things of this world, when you've given your attention to the things of this world, they seem big, mighty, and great. Some of you right now have some heavy things on your heart. And part of the heaviness of your heart is that you've been looking all week at how big and mighty the things of this world are. You're scared, you're overwhelmed, you're concerned. But The truth is your circumstances seem overwhelming and, and, and too great to overcome as long as your attention is given only to your circumstances. The prophet is calling us to look past the splendor of this world, as great as it can be, and see the more glorious glory of God. Look past the powers of this world and see the greater power of the living God. And he asks the question, do you not know? And do you not hear? It is there for you to behold the glory of God. Not only does he talk about how God is more glorious in the heavens and the earth, but he also says that God is more powerful than all the rulers and powers of this world. It's so what he's getting at in verse 23, 24 all to, to, through 26. He talks about bringing princes to nothing. But then he, in verse 24, he says, scarcely, scarcely they are planted, scarcely uh, sown, scarcely they, they, uh, has their stem uh, taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. In other words, they become like dust in the wind. Now the point here is that Beyond the physical world, we often look at the the people power of this earth. So when I I say people power, I mean political leaders, military leaders, and and those of great wealth. And from the perspective, the earthly power of man often seems great, unshakable, and overwhelming. When the government does something you don't like, it seems like a force that you you cannot combat. When there's someone in your life that has a power dynamic greater than you, it seems like a force that you cannot combat. When, 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 when uh, movements of society and culture and those sort of things move against you, it seems like a power too great and too mighty for you to combat. And what does the prophet say about the power of God? That it's greater than all of this. From God's perspective, the earthly power of man has no standing, no comparison. Verse 23, he says, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness? The answer to that is God does. There's no threat or challenge to God. In verse 24, he says, when he blows on them, they become like dust. In other words, it's not even an effort of the living God to topple them. Where men count armies and lands to demonstrate their power, God counts stars and planets. Look at what he says in just the next passage. He talks about, um, in verse 25, to whom uh, then will you compare me, if not the the glory of the the earth and heavens and and not the, the powers of men? In verse 26, lift up your eyes to the high and see who created thee, speaking about the heavens, the stars, and the planets, He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. In other words, I put them there, and I named them, and I know them all. We count armies and lands and wealth to demonstrate our power. God counts the stars and the planets to demonstrate his power. And the point is there is no contest and there is no debate. God is great and greatly to be praised. Do you not know? Do you not hear this obvious truth that our God is great and mighty, that there is nothing in heaven or on earth that compares to the glory and the majesty and the power of our God? That's where we begin. Whatever challenge is in your life, Whatever threat you are facing, whatever circumstance seems overwhelming to you, the prophet doesn't begin with the practicality, the logistics, or the particulars of whatever it is that you're dealing with. He begins with moving our attention to the glory of God. So before we can go to the next two things, I just want to say where you must start this morning is where is your attention if you leave here and your attention is still on the things of this world, your heart will not be changed and your perspective will not be different. But, dear friends, if you move your attention away from the things of this world to the glory of God, do you not see? Do you not hear? And the answer will be yes. I get a glimpse of the glory of God. I get a glimpse of the power of God. And that gives you the perspective to understand the next two things. Now the next two things, number one, God knows all things. Look in verse 27 with me. So this is the, the, the um, he's, he's talked about, he knows all the stars. In verse 27, um, this is revealing the heart of Israel, so God's people, and it says, why do you say, Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is um, disregarded by my God. The question there that is, that is being revealed is, it feels like, maybe to the people who are in Babylon, that it's, it's been years now since they've, they've been taken to Babylon. Some have been born in Babylon, and, and the likely feeling is God's forgotten about us. M- maybe some are saying because of our sin, the chastisement of God, God's given us, forgotten us, and just let us go. Others maybe thought, we're, listen, we're a long way from home. God's forgotten who we are, what we are, what we need. It seems like it's been a long time. But this is what the prophet is saying. I know where you are. I know where you are. God knows where you are. Now It already says that he has numbered or, and named the stars. That's verse 26. And here is a simple understanding, friends. If God knows the number and the name of every star and planet, not just in the galaxy that we can see, but in the expanse of all that is, dear friends, he knows your name too. And if he knows the farthest planet and the farthest star and has counted it and numbered it, there is nowhere you can be or go that God does not know where you are. Dear friends, he knows where you are. Israel was complaining that God didn't know their suffering and hardship. It had been a long time since they had been in captivity. The journey back to Jerusalem was going to be difficult. They faced all kinds of hardships to to rebuilding the temple and rebuilding their lives. God heard their complaints but is reminding them that he has not forgotten where they are That he has has not forgotten whose they are and that he has not disregarded them. In other words, listen, dear friends, I've been working for your redemption since before you even knew you were going to Babylon. Though they may not have been aware, there was never a moment that God was not aware of their heart, of their suffering, of their discipline, and was working for their redemption. Now, their circumstances were not good. But God was working through every moment to provide for his will and his people. One of the commentators I often read wrote this about this passage. He says, someone has defined circumstances as those nasty things you see when you get your eyes off of God. If you look at God through your circumstances, he will seem small and very far away. But if by faith you look at your circumstances through God, he will draw very near and reveal his greatness to you. Here's a beautiful truth, friends. You can feel lonely and isolated right in the middle of town. And you can feel to be in the most intimate presence of God on the other side of the world. The difference is not your physical location. The difference is, do you understand that God knows where you are? And that changes everything. Everything. It changes everything that God, who created all the heavens and the earth, who is greater than all the heavens and the earth. There is nowhere you can go to escape his presence. And whether it's across the street, across the state, on the other side of the globe, God knows where you are, and you have not been disregarded by him. But not only that, if you look in verse 28, the, the prophet tells us that God is never distracted. So look at what he says When they say, you know, they say, my my right has been disregarded uh, by my God. But but in verse 28, there's again the question Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of uh, of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary, his understanding is unsearchable. God is never distracted. Here again, the prophet asked the double question Have you not known and have you not heard? Now, here I think what is happening is God's people are projecting upon the Lord their own weaknesses. Here's what's true about us. For each of us, circumstances and trouble absolutely can distract us, can burden us, can cause you to grow weary and tired, can, can require you, forcibly require you to rest and, and sometimes the, the realities of this world can be so difficult, so burdensome, that they, that they exhaust you to the point of quitting. Some of you have been there where you really felt like you didn't have another step to make and you just physically couldn't go anymore. Maybe that's been at a work. Maybe that's been at some other task at home. Maybe that's been in some relationships that you've had where you're so exhausted that you literally are withdrawing because you just can't go any, any further. On the other end of that, just light afflictions, light trouble can cause you to be distracted and disconnected. The prophet says, though, of God that he is everlasting that is the creator of the ends of the, of the earth, and he does not faint, and he does not grow weary. Here's what he's saying. It does not matter what befalls us. There has been, there is not, and there never will be a moment where God loses sight of you or anything else. I mean, you you think about the the vastness of the universe and how that overwhelms us. Think about the knowledge of God. He has named and counted every star, he knows their place, they are never out of his mind. Every person that has, is, and will ever live also is named, hairs are numbered, number of days are known, and they are never out of the mind of God. He's never distracted. He's never too burdened to give you attention. He's never so overwhelmed that he cannot provide. He's never so exhausted that he has nothing left to give. No matter what you have done, God is not weary of you, God is not tired of you, God is not disengaged from you. No matter where you are, God is not weary of you. He is not tired of you. He is not disengaged from you. No matter how far away from God you have gone, God is not weary of you. God is not tired of you. God is not disengaged from you. In every moment, God is actively working for his will and your blessing. In every moment, God is compassionately focused on his will and your blessing. In every moment, God is indefatigably providing for his will and your blessing. Have you not? known and have you not heard god is not growing weary and he does not he provide he he is not lost sight of you he knows all things he knows where you are he knows what you need and then secondly the third thing here is that god provides all things now this is gets to the to the portion of the passage that oh we we like beginning in verse 39 excuse me beginning in verse 29 It says, He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even young folks, it says, shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. A couple of things here He gives power to the faint. Faintness, in this sense, comes from two sources. You can be faint because of overwork, or you can be faint from being overwhelmed. Now, if you're faint from being, faintness from overwork comes from when you are so physically depleted that no matter your desire, no matter what you want to do, you cannot physically continue. So you faint. You've fallen out because you're so physically But there also is a faintness that comes from being overwhelmed. And faintness from being overwhelmed comes when the task ahead is so unpleasant or seemingly beyond your ability that you lose the heart and drive to continue. Some of you have been there. When you've been given a task at work that you're not skilled for, that you don't have the the knowledge of, and it just overwhelms you and you just think, "I, I, I can't do it. I'm, so, some of you, there, there, there's some relational dynamics in your family that have been placed upon you, and the, the, the overwhelming burden of that is beyond your ability. And you are faint because, not because you're overworked, but because you are overwhelmed. I think Israel was overwhelmed. We've got to leave Babylon. We've got to go back to Jerusalem, build the temple. The, 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 the task ahead of them were so great, so vast, so beyond their knowledge that they felt overwhelmed and they were faint. But listen to me carefully. Listen to me very carefully. What God, what God calls you to will always be beyond your ability. What God calls you to will always be beyond your ability. Last Sunday, I preached from Matthew 28. Go make disciples. And where are we to make disciples? Every land, every people, every tribe. That's beyond our ability. That is a task greater than our ability. That's, that's the way this works. What God calls us to is always a call to be obedient in the context of his power, not our own. There's so many things today that seem overwhelming and can cause you to grow faint. Raising godly children in the context of, a, of the present hyper-secularized culture is overwhelming. Sharing the gospel to a world that seems not to be listening or care seems to be Overwhelming. Living obediently before God in a world that will hate you for it seems to be overwhelming. Looking at these things from the perspective of man will cause you to grow faint, but accomplishing these things is only possible through the power of God. The prophet says, Have you not known? Do you not hear? He provides for the faint. Provides beyond our ability. Look in verse 30. In verse 30, he talks about young folks. There are two thoughts toward young people one is to celebrate the fact that they're youthful, and the other thing is to be frustrated with them because they're youthful. And the frustration thing comes because they can do stuff that you used to could do but you can't do anymore. Put older folks and young folks together. And the the conversation will be, you'll you'll start having older folks talk about what they used to do. Oh, yeah, I used to could run this fast, lift this, whatever. But pretty quick, it gets to, well, I'm I'm not going to try that now. Dads, you know, when you have little children, oh, it's fun to wrestle and play and race. But there comes a moment when you realize your kids can beat you. And that's the moment you start talking about, well, you know, it's just not appropriate. Mom doesn't want us to be that rough inside the house come on, you got to time that just right so that you quit before they beat you. So often our first response to obedience is to do so in our own strength. There is an arrogance that is natural to youth because the strength of youth is so abundant. It'll make you mad. I get out and run, run every day. Some kid shows up, hadn't, hadn't run a mile in three months and beats me. Makes me a little mad, just going to tell you. They run by me not even breaking a sweat, and I'm huffing and puffing and doing everything I can. There's an arrogance to that. They don't have to train. They don't have to work hard for a lot of things because of the strength of youth. But the prophet recognizes that there is even a limit to the strength and endurance of youth. Even the youngest and most healthy are, are, are falling to exhaustion. And if, even, if, if, if the youngest and most healthy are falling to exhaustion, then the question is, what hope is there for anybody else? So if the young folks are falling out, they've given up to exhaustion because uh, they, they are overwhelmed by what is coming, then, then, then the obvious answer is, what's the hope for anybody else who doesn't have the advantage of the strength of youth? And this is the point. The point is, there's no hope in your ability to begin with. It doesn't matter if you're the strongest, you're the fastest, the youngest, the most, whatever. No matter how great, no matter how well trained, no matter how well prepared, there's no hope in our ability because if you try to do the work of God in the strength of man, you will grow faint and you will quit. The strength that God provides is greater than what you can know in your own ability. And the prophet is calling us to look beyond what you can do and to look to the Lord. He gives power to the faint. He gives beyond our ability. And he gives according to his unlimited supply. Verse 31. But they. So verse 30 is don't give any hope. Don't give any any look to your ability. But verse 31 says, but... They who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Verse 30 is a warning that your strength is not enough. Verse 31 points to the true source of power to accomplish the will of God. The word there for wait doesn't mean that we sit around and do nothing. It means to hope, to look to God for all that we need. The word, therefore, renew means to exchange, as taking off old clothes and putting on new, to be fresh, to be made new. And he gives three images here of those who are renewed by waiting on the Lord soaring like an eagle, running and not growing tired, walking and not fainting. To soar like an eagle is to do great things for the Lord the imagery here is of the majesty and power of eagles flight and it points to what God can do and will do through us when we wait on the Lord I I think too often when we hear soaring like an eagle we think about something that is for us to us for our benefit but I think the imagery there really is more about what God does when God uses you there is great things to be done When God is working through you, there are glorious things to be done because we're working and and acting according to the power of God, the will of God, and, and empowered by God. This is not about you doing great things. This is about God doing great things. And those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength and will do great things for the living God. We'll also run and not grow weary. Can I confess to you that the closer we get to walking, the more I identify with this passage. Often, the challenges are, uh, of life are many and great. And there are times when these challenges seem to multiply and can threaten to overwhelm you. In the strength of the Lord, he gives the ability to continue without growing weary or quitting. When you're a runner, you have to be strategic about your route. I like to do the hard stuff first. I was in Rome this week. Problem with living in Waycross is there's not a hill in sight. Amen. It's not a problem until you go somewhere else and there's not a flat place in sight. And for a South Georgia boy, that's pretty hard on us. So in Rome, Georgia, this week, I knew I was going to have to deal with some hills, and so I, I made sure that my route, all the hills were first. So the second half of my run was all downhill. But there's strategy in that doing the hills first, because if you do the hills last, you're gonna to have to deal with that mental game. I'm tired, I'm, I'm, I'm physically spent. And when you get tired and physically spent and you see the next hill and the next hill after that and the next hill after that, there's a temptation. If you're a runner, you know this. If you're a biker, you know this. Any physical activity, you know this. There's that moment, that mental game moment where you go, I could quit. I mean, nobody knows. I don't have to tell anybody how far I ran today. I don't have to tell anybody how far I biked today. I don't have to tell anybody how far I swam today. There's that moment where you're working in your mind, I could quit. I know I planned to go further, but I could quit. And what, what, what the imagery here is, is that those who wait on the Lord, God will renew their strength, that when the pressures of just life come, when the difficulties come, when the hills come, God will provide for you to keep running even when you want to quit. But you'll run in his power. But then he says... This is what I most identify walk and not faint. I think you could certainly understand this in the context of just keep moving, keep moving forward, but I think the better way to understand this is being faithful in the daily task. Sometimes you soar, sometimes you run, but everybody's got to walk. You got to walk, you got to move, you got to keep moving. The imagery here is consistency and faithfulness. To keep plotting, to keep walking faithfully, day in and day out, being about the obedience to God's word and faithfulness to his call. And those who wait on the Lord, God will renew their strength and allow them to keep walking without fainting. William Carey, a name that you may recognize, he was a very early missionary to India, said of himself, If he gave me credit for being a plotter, he will describe me justly. Anything beyond that will be too much. I can plod. I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this, I owe everything. In other words, Carrie was saying, I just keep walking, keep plotting in faithfulness, and God will use that. Dear friends, whatever God has called you to, whatever you are facing, God will provide for you, whether you are soaring soaring, whether you are running, whether you are walking. For me this week, as I've studied this passage, the, the two verses that have just struck me were the two verses that ask the question, do you not know and do you not hear? Have you ever had a conversation with someone who, even as you were talking, explaining something to them, You could see their mouth moving with their rebuttal. They were already starting their their rejection of what you were saying, even before you even really got out the first few words of what you were saying. It happens in my household, I'm not gonna say who does this, but it happens in my household with four people that are younger than Dana and I, often. We'll say something, something that oftentimes we know what we're talking about. And before we can even finish the sentence, they're going, yeah, 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 yes, but. Yes, but and what follows the yes, but is the reason why they're rejecting whatever it is that we're saying (laughs) Friends I think some of you right now God's been speaking And all you've been doing is going yes, but So often, dear friends, it is not a question of the clarity of God speaking to our life. More often than not, it's the question of whether or not we'll be obedient to what God is saying in our life. Some of you, God's speaking in your life, but instead of taking up Him at His word, being obedient, walking in the power of God, you've been telling God all the reasons. Yes, God, but this is why I can't. This is why that won't work. Yes, but, yes, but. the reason why those two passages that ask the question, have you not known, do you not hear, have been speaking so deeply to my heart this week, is because is it, do you not think that it is not the Lord calling us to look up and see His glory? Is not the Lord calling us to listen afresh to His truth? Is it not God calling us to know what has been revealed from the foundation of the earth? of his power, when he asked us, do you not know? Do you not hear? Those questions I don't think are questions of chastisement. I don't think he's getting on to Israel. I don't think he's calling them out for being ignorant. I don't, I don't think he's making cult, wanting to make them feel small for not knowing something or seeing something. I think this is an invitation to know again and to hear again the truth that gives hope. I think God's calling them to lift up their eyes and see, to open their ears and hear. Do you not know? And as he has asked that question, as you you begin to see the glory of God, what begins to beat in your heart is, yes, I do know. All of creation testifies to it. I've known it since the foundations of the world. God is glorious and mighty and great. He provides for me. He is present with me. Yes, I know. Do you not see? Yes, I see the glory of God and His power in our lives. I don't think God's chastising with these questions. I think He's inviting with these questions. Come and know. Come and hear. To know again that all the promises of His word, that, 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 that for all the promises of this world, there is nothing that compare to the glory, the majesty, and power of God. To hear again the precious promises of God that He never sleeps, that he never slumbers, he does not faint, and he does not grow weary. And to hear again and know in the depths of your heart today that no matter if you are flying high like an eagle, if you're struggling to press on through the weariness of running, or you are simply trying to put one foot in front of another today, without fainting, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They renew their strength not from their efforts of determination, but from the inexhaustible well of power that flows from the fountain of God's grace. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsr.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment, all for the King and all for the Kingdom.